Sometimes people just sum it up and say, Lord, there's a lot of life going on. And so, Lord, today as we look at some of the things that you have poured out for us, Lord, God, open our hearts and open our minds. Lord, touch us and meet us. Lord, I think of the rich young ruler, and I think about how he arrogantly said he'd followed all the commandments since he was a boy, and it says in the scriptures that he never get over the fact that you know everything about me and that you still choose to bless me. So God, I just pray that you would wrap your scriptures around us today and that we would grasp the extent of your love. last week from Ephesians as we looked at kind of a passage from Luke as we looked at Advent. Last week we talked about the candle of hope. This week we talked about the candle of peace. And the interesting thing is, is both of those first two candles were looking forward to the return of Christ. We have a hope in the return of Christ. We will have peace in the return of Christ. You know, I think that mankind has worked very, very hard to try and achieve peace. And I'm not saying that there isn't strife, but if you look at, um, one time I was talking with a kid, and he said to me, he said, you know, Eric, here's the crazy thing. He said, you know, right now, there's peace in our, in our country. And he goes, that there's, there's kind of been this kind of peace. But he goes, but if you look on the internet, somewhere there's always war. There's always something. How hard we try, and I interrupted him, I said, no matter how hard we try, there's going to be wrath title of my sermon is called Relational Erosion. Remember I told you that the to talk about, all right, what does it look like in a God gave us marriage. He talked about the importance of children and raising children. And then he talked about outside the family, how can we relate to one another? Well, we understand relations and we understand relational, but erosion. What is erosion? Erosion is the gradual destruction of something. It's the wearing away. It's the grinding down. It's the crumbling how many people see like every spring they have to do work down at the shore? Why? Because the shoreline gets eroded, so they got to bring in sand and they got to try and do all this stuff, only to have it washed away. Why? Because water pounding on it, pulling it, pushing it, doing things, it changes. I believe that our society is in a relational erosion. I believe our society, and listen, it's not happening like, like that. 
It's happening slowly, wave after wave. The world is breaking down relational erosion. And I'm going to tell you right today, I know who's responsible for it. And people want to point to all different things, but I'm going to tell you who's responsible for it. It's the God of, and I use it with a little g, chaos. And who is that? Satan. He is the author and perfecter of relational erosion, trying to break things down. I want to show you a clip today because I think it's a powerful clip because to me, it actually shows what is going on in our society and how subtly erosion is happening in our relationships. It's a town hall meeting that happened back during the last election. Town hall meetings are where candidates get into a room and they talk about various topics. Now, the inside of this is that they're asked questions that they call are softball questions, which means the people asking the questions, they already know them. The question they already know and the answer they've already prepared. So there's no shooting off the hip. You know what it's going to say. In other words, if I give Len a question to ask me, that means I've thoroughly prepared and thought through the answer. So Glenn, Len stands up, gives the question to me, I give this response and people go, wow, that was really smooth. But in a sense, it wasn't smooth. I was thinking about it for hours. Well, I want to show you a town hall meeting between a former Democratic candidate named Elizabeth Warren. And she's in, this she's in this town hall meeting, and she's asked a softball question about traditional relationships, traditional marriage between a man and a woman. And I want you to pay attention because what she says, and I want you to tune out. I don't care what you think. Maybe you like her. Maybe you don't like her. I want you to tune all that out. I want you to listen to what she's saying because it is a wave that is permeating through our society. So, Pam, can you turn those lights off? And go ahead, Eddie, let's show this clip real quick. So, go ahead, you can cut it. So here's my point. Uh, I know our sound wasn't great there, but I want to tell you, here's the first line. The guy says, I'm, I am old-fashioned and my faith tells me that marriage is between one man and one woman. Okay, well, first off, uh, this old-fashioned viewpoint, it makes it seem like maybe it just came around a couple years ago. But marriage between a man and a woman has been around for thousands of years. But it's talked about as if it's kind of like something that started in the 50s, almost, almost like a bad fashion trend, and now we're moving out of it. 
How many of you, your kids look at old pictures in your yearbook and they make fun of you? Don't worry about it. Hold on to their yearbooks. And when you have grandchildren, I want you to pull them out. I want you to say, look, look what Daddy Austin looked like when he was younger. What a loser, right? It says, I'm an old-fashioned, and my faith tells me that marriage is between one man and one woman. I studied uh, communication in college towards radio broadcasting. Uh, God led me a different direction, but here I am. One of the things they always used to say in communication is to communicate things that you want people to believe without telling them not to believe what they believe. It's called almost subliminal messaging. So she uses a subliminal message that makes it seem that if you're old-fashioned, you're kind of dumb, and if you have faith, well, maybe you're just not smart enough to figure out these things. But then she says another line here. She says, well, I'm assuming that it's a guy who said that, which the subliminal message means that men are old-fashioned, women aren't old-fashioned, that men cling to things that have since been compete against each other. Guess who wins? We have a winner, Satan. He wins. Because if we, if we turn into, hey, listen, guys are for guys and girls are for girls, and the end result is, is let's try and figure out the battle of the sexes and let's make one come out on top of the other, everyone loses, but guess what the catastrophic casualty is? The kids, the next generation. How many of you know people who adults can't behave correctly and their kids are suffering immensely because of it. How many school counselors do we have? How many counselors do we have? How many social services do we have because parents are behaving poorly and kids are suffering in the middle? But this morning, I don't want to look at video snippets. I want us to look at the Word of God. Because Jesus says, build your life on what? The rock. What does he also say? Storms are coming. But what does he say? In this world you have trouble, but take heart, what? I've overcome the world. And that's what we're looking at today. We're not looking at a new fad. We're not looking at some radical new thing. We're looking at God who's saying, hey, listen, I established this. And get back to this. Don't forget who made you, how he made you, and for what purpose. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to verse, start at verse 22. Now listen, I'm going to say some hard things today. Maybe some things that you like to hear. Maybe some things you won't like to hear. I'm going to say some hard things to the ladies in the room. I'm going to say the hard, some hard things to the men in the room. But ultimately I want you to know this. That I'm saying these things because they're written in the Word of God, and I'm saying these things because someone is actively trying to erode relationships. And if we don't do something about it, if we don't make a stand, he will completely swamp it over and it'll be gone. Have you ever seen a house that gets neglected long enough? It's gone. If you don't deal with erosion, add your house will be gone. Everything will be gone. And if you don't deal with this stuff, relational erosion will destroy us all. The first thing I want to address is to look at some things that Paul says to women. Our three for the road, number one, is women and the sin of deceit. Women and the sin of deceit. 
Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I know that I have heard more preachers and more people say, wives, submit to your husband. I've heard that statement often. But they miss the last part of the sentence. What's the last part of the sentence? It's unto the Lord. It's unto the Lord. Why should we do anything in life? What should be our motivation? The Lord. Friday night, we had a wonderful night here. We had all these kids here, all this fun and activity. Why did we do it? Under the Lord. Bob, you came out on a Friday night and led songs. Why do you do it? Under the Lord. It's all under the Lord. Everything we do is under the Lord. So Paul says, listen, wives, submit to your husband. Under the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be, their, be to their husbands in everything. <clears throat> Remember in Matthew 8, Jesus has a conversation with a Roman centurion. And listen to this, it says in Romans 8. I think, do we have this? There we go. <clears throat> the centurion answered and said to him, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak the word and my servant will be healed. That's because the Roman centurion's servant was ill. Now this is interesting. You talk about the word submission and how that can kind of make our skin crawl somewhat. But I want you to understand that there's a crazy paradox going on here. In this relationship, who should be submissive to who? The Romans conquered this area. They control it. Jesus is to be submissive to the Roman centurion. Do you know that a Roman soldier carrying his gear could take his gear, throw it on the ground, point to a Jew and say, Jew, carry it. And by law, they had to carry it a mile. By law. You want to talk about submission and authority? But what does this guy say? He says, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And everyone's going... Yes, you are. You can make that man carry your gear. But listen to what he says here. He understands something. He says, for I also am a man under authority. He says, Jesus, I'm not like you, but you and I have something in common. We're both under authority. Having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. He says, Jesus, my master is Caesar. Do you think that a Roman centurion wants to be living in Jerusalem? Honestly, think about it. Do you know any U.S. soldier who's abroad who's going, you know what, I could be living in Indiana, but I really like Afghanistan. Nope. Why are they there? Because they're under authority. And he says, listen, I'm under authority. Caesar sends me here to deal with all you religious fanatics who I don't even understand what you believe or anything like that. Guess what? I'm here. He tells me to do this, I do it. I tell my men to do it, they do it. I tell them to go, they go. I tell them to come, they, don't, they come. I tell them whatever they do, they do it. Jesus, you're under authority too, to your heavenly Father. He says, go, and you came here. He says, do, and you do it. 
He says, die and you will. You'll do all these things. Why? Because Jesus, you and I are both under authority. Let's make this hit home. Women and the sin of deceit. Now I know when that three for the road comes up, a lot of you guys write them in your notes. Maybe some people are going, I don't know what I'm writing that one. A friend of mine yesterday is a Christian counselor. She says to me, I said, listen, I, I want to run this by. This is what I'm going to be talking about tomorrow. She goes, the sin of deceit? She goes, you're going to lose a lot of your crowd. She goes, I think you should start off first with the men. I said, well, Paul started with the women. And she goes, oh. <laughs> she goes, okay, then start with that. Women in the sin of deceit. In Genesis 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And we know what happens there. Satan and Eve get in kind of a verbal war back and forth. And what happens? Well, playing word games with Eve, Satan is able to deceive Eve into eating the fruit and furthermore leading her to lead her husband astray. In doing so, Satan hardwired a horrible trait that has been passed down through generations of women. It's the sin of deceiving. Now, let me say something. Does this mean, oh, well, every woman deceived? No. Does this mean that every woman's fallen for a deception? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But what it means very clearly is this. When Satan wanted to attack a woman, what did he use? Deception. Which means Satan saw something that he went, if I can, we're cast out with him. Now, gang, I want you to know that I don't look at this as something that is exclusively in women. What I'm saying is Satan may use this, and we all need to be aware of it, the sin of deceit. Now, we're going to talk about some problems with Adam, and that's going to come up next, but I'm going to tell you that Satan can stir things up, and he can pick at things and find things, and he found something in Eve. And he picked it. I was talking with someone this week, a woman, and she said, Eric, she goes, I don't know if you can say that. I said, well, do you think that Satan still deceives people to this day? And she went, well, of course, of course. And I said, do you think it's possible that maybe there's something in there that we should talk about? And she said, well, I guess so. Listen, if Jesus describes Satan as the great deceiver, it would be foolish for us to think that he still doesn't deceive. The enemy will always use his number one weapon. How did Satan convince other angels to follow him? Listen, if Satan is powerful enough to deceive other angels... We are flat out fools to think that he is not in the business of deceiving us. And we have to be aware of that. Here's the test if maybe you are falling under deception. And, and this is a test for everyone. If you're dealing with a situation... ...then you may be being deceived. 
Now today you heard me say, well gosh Eric, this is a really hard message for you to give. Why is it a hard message for you to give? Because you know what? I can look recently in my life where I've fallen for deceptions. Where I've let my mind think things that may or may not even be true. How many of you have brewed up things in your mind that cause you anger, that cause you grief, that cause you to stay up at night and stare at the ceiling, and they may not even be true? We all do these things. And so I'm going to tell you that this is a hard message to give because I even last night sat with Pam and I said, you know what, I feel like this going on in my life, I've let the sin of dece deceive. I, it's deceiving me. It's stealing I'm brewed up about controversy that I don't even know if it's accurate. And Satan spews that on. A few weeks ago at Sermon Sides, we talked about this. Remember this? we got to tame these thoughts in our mind because guess what? If they're not true, they're not from God. And if they're not true and it's spinning rent-free in our mind, who are they from? The great deceiver. The great deceiver. Years ago, Pam and I counseled a couple that was going through some marital crisis. And they separated for a time, for a couple of months. And how I realized that there was deception going on and how Satan was in, getting involved in this is despite having zero contact with one another, not through email, text messages, in person, nothing, their anger towards one another just kept getting worse. And I remember thinking at one point, okay, you haven't seen her or seen him or talked to him in almost two months, and yet you're more angry now than you were when you first met with us. Where does that come from, folks? Satan. And he'll stir this up and stir this up. And I'm going to tell you, the first time we met with them, I was very, very hopeful. By the end of it, it was done. They were divorced a few months later. Let's keep going, because there's problems that the men need to be aware of. Three for the road, number two, men and the sin of oblivious. The sin of oblivious. Let's look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why do we love our wives? Because he lives. Because of him and how did Jesus love us? How much did he give? He gave it all. He gave it all. And Paul says, hey guys, you are to love your wives. Let me think of an example. What would be a good example? Oh, here's an example how Jesus loved you. Guys, how are we doing? He keeps going says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Guys, you know one of the things I was thinking about this week? I was thinking about my relationship with, with the Lord, and I was thinking about my relationship with Pam. And literally as I read this, I felt like God was saying, Eric, do you cleanse, do you wash your wife in the scriptures? Do you pour it over her? Yesterday we were at a birthday party for, for my nephew, and, and, and my, my, his little sister got into the cake, hardcore. How old is Nora? She's a year old. You ever watch a year old get into some cake? 
Yeah, it's, it's full body on. She started off wearing all of her clothes, and by the end of it, she was just in her diaper going at it. And she had chocolate on her nose, her forehead, on the side of her head, somehow on the back of her head. She had frosting all over. And so what does mom do? Her mom takes her, goes into the bathroom, pours water over her, cleans her up, and then keeps her away from the cake. Right? And I was thinking about how they lovingly clean up Nora, and I thought, I should be pouring scripture over my wife, anointing her daily with that. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water of the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And as I'm walking around, stewing on these things, chewing on these things with my sidekick tank, going through these empty parking lots and all these places behind our house, I felt like the Lord said, Eric... I gave you Pam. She belongs to me. I will ask for her back. In what condition will you present her to me? Eric, I gave you Austin. I gave you Jack. I gave you Chase. They belong to me. I let you give them goofy names. I let you raise them. I let you do whatever you want with them, but I will ask for them back. And how have you handled them? Will they be better off because I've involved you? Or will they be worse off? What will you give me back, Eric? Remember the parable of the talents? One went and invested and multiplied. One went and invested and multiplied. One came back with a dirty sack of money and said, hey, this is yours. And I don't want to give him back. Pam and go, well, hey, she belongs to you. Go ahead, take her back. That's it. Instead, I want God to say, hey, Eric, you know what? I'll tell you what. I gave you that woman, and I worked on that woman a lot, but I'm going to tell you, you did some great stuff with her, too. High five. Tag team. Good stuff. Let's go. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, hey, this sounds familiar. For this reason, a man shall leave his wife, leave his father, I'm sorry, leave his wife, yeah. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. There's two mysteries that go on here. The first mystery is this. God works in the church doing holy work that has eternal consequences, right? Using an inadequate, broken, and sinful people. How many of you do a project and bring in things that are broken, inadequate, and won't work? No one does a project like that. The other mystery is that God's work in moving men and women towards completion, he uses marriage to do that. He uses relationships to do that. That's the crazy thing. See, in the same way I'm responsible for Pam, Pam's going to have to come before the Lord, and the Lord's going to say, all right, Pam, I gave you Segul. How'd we do? Did you help him to become the man that I dreamed for him? Did you help him? Did you come alongside of him? What'd you do? Pam, let me ask you this. 
is Eric better off with you in his life or without you? What's that answer? And I don't say that in a negative way. I'm saying that, that we are accountable for one another. And in the relational erosion that's going on, it makes it seem like we're only accountable for ourselves, and whatever happens over here isn't my problem. No, that's not it. We're accountable for one another. Let's make this hit home. Men in the sin of oblivious. Oblivious means lacking remembrance or mindful attention. Looking back at Genesis 3, we can certainly discuss Eve's actions and even Satan's actions. But do you know whose actions we can't discuss? I don't know what Adam was doing. Adam's inaction. Men are often guilty of the sin of oblivious. Men can become consumed with things that are maybe not as important as other things. Men can miss obvious cues of distress from their wife or from their children. Men often drive through life oblivious of what is going on around them, comforting themselves by saying they're paying the bills. And yet, nowhere in here did Jesus say, oh, and the number one thing, thou shalt pay all the bills and make sure that financially stable and leave behind a good nest egg and make sure you're investing in a 401. Austin can help you with Vanguard. It doesn't say that. Even if you read the message, it doesn't say that. But we are responsible for our homes. I one time had a father say to me, he said, listen, Eric, he had me over for dinner. I was doing youth ministry with his kids. He goes, Eric, I pay the bills. She raises the kids. You tell them about God. And I remember thinking, did he care about his wife? Yes, he did. Did he care about his kids? Yes, he did. But I meet a lot of fathers who didn't seem to know what was going on in their kids' lives. I see a lot of husbands who don't see the distress and pain that's going on in their wives. I talked with a young woman today, or a few days ago. She's a teacher here. She talked about how every single Sunday she goes to church and asks her husband to go with him, and he won't go with her. And the pain coming out of this woman telling me, I thought, holy cow, even if I thought church was the worst thing ever invented in all of humanity, I could not look at the pain in my wife's eyes and turn away from that. So I would just have to go or set myself on fire. One of those two things. I just can't deal with it. Men who walk around oblivious or disengaged with vital aspects in life end up with embittered and deeply scarred wives. And that's what they give back to God. Or children who are dis they're disconnected from or little or no influence on the lives of the people that truly they do care about, but they seem to not quite understand what's going on. Here are some signs that maybe you're falling into the sin of oblivious. And again, this could be for men and women. When you don't know what's going on in your wife's heart or mind, or your husband's heart or mind, you might be in the sin of oblivious. If there's major decisions being made in your household and you don't even know about them, you might be in the sin of oblivious. If you're living as if you've got it all figured out, you might be in the sin of oblivious. Here's what my point is. My point is, is this. I don't know what Adam was doing that day in the garden. I'm not even saying he was doing something bad. But he wasn't paying attention to what was going on. And what Adam should have been doing is Adam should have stepped in and went, Eve, hold on. First off, you and I need to go talk with the Lord, and we have access to him.
Secondly, I have dominion over every creature in this garden. And you get away from her and away from me. And all the rest of you animals, follow him around and keep an eye on him. And can you imagine that snake zipping around the garden and every leopard is following him around? And the leopards who at this point are vegetarian are going, I wonder how he would taste. <laughs> Be careful of the sin of oblivion. I know a lot of good men, and why do I share this? Not that women can't fall into this, but I know a lot of good men who are very faithful. They love their wives. They care about their kids. They really do. But they don't know what's really going on. And then something happens and they go, I had no idea. Do you know what's going on in the heart of the people that you love the most? Do you know how they feel about things? Do you know how they think about things? We need to know these things, men and women. We need to be engaged in that way. Now let's finish it up. We're going to talk about kids. Paul finishes this up here in verse 32, or verse 33, and then he goes into chapter 6. He says, Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. In other words, Paul goes, listen, let's get back to the basics. We're going to do this no matter what the response is. We live in a society that says, well, I'll do this if you do this. And then they wait for someone to do it. No, Jesus didn't wait. He just came. He loved. He cared. That's what we need to do. Don't wait for somebody to jump in the water. You jump in the water. I'm going to love my wife whether she loves me or not. I'm going to respect my husband whether he loves me or not. I'm going to do these things. Why? Under the Lord. And that's what I'm going to do. And now let's talk about kids. Three for the road. Number three, teach your children well. They should write a song about that. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why should they obey? In the Lord. We do it for the Lord. We do all things for His glory. We do all things for His glory. I talk a lot with my son, who is captain of his soccer team in college. He'll say, Dad, listen, one of the things we decided, we will give praise to him when we win. We will give praise to him when we lose. No matter what happens, we will give praise. And that's what we're going to do. And you know what? We will give praise. Why? Because it's all about the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Because I'm going to tell you something. If Satan can't destroy or erode the parental husband-wife relationship, then he goes, all right, can I ruin the next generation? You're one generation from Christianity being extinct in your family bloodlines. Do you realize that? Like my parents were first generation Christians. They handed it off to us. Pam and I are going to run the race as long and as hard as we can. And we're going to hand it off to these three boys. And I'm going to tell you, if they drop the baton, then I don't know what happens. Your parents love you. They care for you. You're here because they care about you. Run the race. And someday when they hand that, you that baton, you better take off running. Don't drop the baton. You're one generation away from uh, spiritual extinction. 
Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you, now listen to this, this is a radical verse in the time it was written. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord. Do you know that often in many cultures, children would like, listen, I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear from you. In many cultures, girls in particular were seen as a tremendous hindrance. Boys could help build the family well. Paul comes with a radical idea. He doesn't say, hey, fathers, you know, pour into your sons. No. He says, train them. Guide your children. Then he says, listen to them. Listen to them. There's wisdom to be gathered from the young and the old. But how many people make it seem like there's only wisdom in, in elderly people? That's it. Everyone else, you know, hey, once you hit 60, it's like, wow, they're wise. Everyone else is stupid. But once you hit 60, you become wise. No, some of the wisest things I've ever heard, I heard from teenagers. Because teenagers, often, they'll analyze things. And the difference between teenagers and adults is teens have no filter. So they'll come to you and they'll say, hey, here's something I think about. And so you brace yourself because you go, what's going to come out now? And sometimes they'll say things, I'll go, oh my goodness. God is teaching them something. Let's finish this up. Verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Work hard. Do your job with diligence. Not with eye service as man pleasers, but with bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Everyone knows when you're mailing it in. Do it from the heart. Work hard. With goodwill doing service as to the Lord, not unto men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. That we will have to answer not only to how we served others, but how did we lead the people that we're called to lead? Because let's face it, there's some of you in this room that you have people who follow you. You have people that you order. You have people that you direct at your workplace. There's nothing wrong with that. But God says, do it in a way that honors the Lord. Pam and I have a friend that we knew for years and years who passed away up in Buffalo, New York. He was 89 years old. He was the president of a very, very successful company. And I was around this guy a lot. And I'm going to tell you something. He would walk in the room. And no one would realize he was a multimillionaire business owner. Instead, he carried himself with such humility. And he treated everyone equal. And I remember one time when I was in college, I, I literally shadowed this guy for a day watching him. And the way he spoke to people that he dealt with overseas in these huge companies and these big things and that, to the way he spoke to the guy who cleaned his office, it was all the same. He carried himself with such a way. And I read this passage this week, and the man just died this past week. And I remember thinking, he's going to come before the Lord, and the Lord's going to say, I appreciate it and I respected the way that you led people. Because you never acted that way 
that so many people do when they get to your position. Never acted that way at all. Teach your children well. Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young wrote that song. Look at these lyrics. It says, you who are on the road must have a code to try and live by. And so become yourself because the past is just a goodbye. Teach your children well. Their father's hell did slowly go by. Feed them on your dreams. The one they, the one they picks, the one they, they will know by. Don't you ever ask them why if they told you you would cry, so just look at them and sigh and know that they love you. What he's talking about is he's talking about adults there. And he says, listen, you've all known that your parents have gone through hard things. You've gone through hard things. My mother came from Naples, Italy when she was a young girl in 1900. She didn't speak English. She was sick and she came to the United States and with nothing. And she talks about hardship. She talks about all the things that she went through. Glean those lessons. Teach your children well. But now look at the next verse. And you of tender years, meaning the youth, can't know the fears your elders grew by. Help them with your youth. They seek the truth before they can die. Teach your parents well. Their children's hell will slowly go by and feed them on your dreams. The one they picks, the one you'll know by. Let's make this hit home. This morning, I hope you don't walk away believing that all women are deceived and all men are oblivious, because that's not the point. Rather, that anyone is capable of being deceived and being disconnected and oblivious to what is going on in your own life and the lives around you. Please understand, when you look at me up front, I don't know what you think of me, but I want you to know that any given moment, I'm capable of the most heinous sin. Any one of us, including me. I absolutely know it. How many of you have ever had a thought that actually startles you that you had that thought? I have. We have much to learn from one another. God has put us together to help us complete one another. Pam helps complete me. She's helping me be the man God desires. I'm helping her to become the woman God desires. We have poured our lives into our kids in the hopes that they will know God and live his dream. In return, we are blessed, challenged, taught much by them. I learned, I feel like for a good portion of my life, I poured into them. Now I find myself in awe learning from them and their observations and their words. But I want you to know that the evil one is working hard. He wants to erode these relationships that are the backbone of our society. He wants marriages to fail and wants loving relationships to become bitter and filled with anger and resentment to build walls. The evil one wants young people to resent their parents and actively work against them, and he wants parents to throw their hands up in defeat. That's what he wants. He wants strife. He wants to divide us all. And then he wants to sit back and watch it burn. But here's the great thing. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And now I love this. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. How many of you, when you read that verse, you think of the word creature and you think of like an animal? I don't think that's what they're talking about. 
and there is no creature hidden from his sight. Who's the creature? Satan can't hide. He can't hide. But all things are naked and open in the eyes to him who must give account. See, this is the great thing about the Word of God. If you're struggling going, you know what, I don't know if I'm falling for a deception, I don't know what's going on, God says, I got a knife that can cut that open. Well, but God, I don't know, I, I maybe am missing things, I'm focused on good things, but maybe not great things, and Lord, maybe I'm falling for the sin of oblivious. Put my glasses on. I'll help you see. I'll help you hear. I'll help you speak. I'll help you go. I'll help you do these things. Live under my authority. Don't live under the creature's authority anymore. Every year around Christmas time, I like to get a big prime rib beef roast. How many people like to get one of those around the holidays? Libby and I always, it's funny, they, they left on vacation, they always sit over there. Libby, Libby and I text back and forth when a grocery store has it on sale. Like, it, it'll be like late at night or something, like, I get a text, oh, I hope everything, you know, I'm worried like someone died, there's a car accident. Eric, tomorrow, shop right, you know, X90, it's so much per pound, really good price, you gotta go there. Pam's like, what's going on, what's going on? It's a, it's a prime rib roast sale, oh, Libby. But Libby taught me a secret that I didn't know. She said, Eric, when you go to get your prime rib roast, she goes, pick out the one you like, take it over to the butcher, and ask the butcher to cut it off the bone. Then have him cut it off the bone and then wrap it back on the bone and tie it onto the bone. I said, they'll do that? She goes, of course they'll do that. All right. So I pick up my prime rib roast. I go, there's some butcher there. He looks like this old guy, and he's got a very sharp knife, and he's kind of like, I'm like, excuse me, sir? I said, I, I'd like to get this prime rib roast. He goes, oh, great, have a good day. You know, like, no, 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 no. I was wondering if you can cut it off the bone and tie it up again for me. Do you do that? And the guy comes walking and goes, do I do that? He takes it, and he takes his knife. Now listen, how many of you love to carve meat but not necessarily real good at it? Okay. He cuts this thing out. He takes this prime rib roast. He pulls out this knife. And I'm telling you, this knife is so sharp, you look at it, you'll start bleeding. He holds up. He cuts this thing perfect. Just one, one swipe. Ties it back on. Wraps it back up. Here you go. Have a great Christmas. I said, thank you. I said, that was impressive. He goes, what? I said, the way you cut that off and the way you do it. He goes, well, I don't know. You do it eight hours a day, five days a week for 25, 30 years. You get pretty good at it. Guess what? face him. Because Eric, what I feel like God says to me sometimes says, Eric, here's what the problem is. You walk with me and I hold your hand and I guide you, but you know, Eric, sometimes you're holding hands with somebody else too. And it's that creature that lives in the dark. And he's trying to pull you. Eric, he's trying to relationally erode your marriage. He's trying to relationally erode things in your life. Eric, he's trying to deceive you. He's trying to trick you. Eric, he's making you oblivious, wound up with stuff that's important but not vital. Eric, I want to show you what's vital, not important. And let's keep going. 
Eric let go of him. And you know what the interesting thing is? Once you see the creature, once you see the sin, once you see it, you go, oh boy, they're doing that. Not getting involved with that. You need to go to the butcher. Because his sword is truly sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides and it cuts out. And here's the thing, a lot of times you think the cutting is painful, but guess what? It's taking things off of you and, in it, and taking it out of you that are hindering you. And so often I'm going, Lord, mold me, make me into the man. And he's going, I'm trying, Eric, you're holding the hands with the creature. And he's eroding all sorts of stuff in your life. Let's have the worship team come up. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. But I want to encourage you. In life, it's so important to live in communion with him and to have community with one another. Have people in your life that you can sit down across the table and go, hey, listen, am I being deceived here? Am I inadvertently deceiving someone? Hey, am I falling for the sin of oblivious here? Am I missing out on the big things you're trying to do because I'm focused on these things over here? You know, I heard a preacher one time say, well, you know what the problem is in the garden? Adam didn't care about Eve and he didn't love God enough. No. I think Adam did care about Eve. And I think he did love God. But I think he got distracted for a moment looking at something that wasn't nearly as important as what was going on. And how many of us have ever been guilty of that? Let's stand up. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Lord, I know that in any moment, the sin of deceit can get into my life. Lord, the creature can cause me to think things that may not even be true. The creature can get me to fall for lies about people, about things, even things about you that are not true. Lord, I pray that the deceit that goes on in my heart and my mind would be brought to the light of Christ. And Lord, like a skilled butcher, that sharp two-edged sword, that you would sever it from my life. Lord, I pray for the sin of oblivious. There are times, Lord, in my life where I'm not focused on bad things. I'm not focused on negative things. But, Lord, maybe I'm not looking at the things that you look at. And, Lord, I don't want to be looking at things out one window where you're saying, Eric, look out the other window. And, Lord, if I am distracted, if I am caring about things that are important but not vital, if I'm consumed with things that need attention but aren't spiritually soul-demanding moments, Lord, that I would refine my vision, that I would focus, that I would see the things that you want me to see, and I would react to the things I should react to. Lord, Satan seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to destroy relationships between men and women. One of the most precious covenants you've given us is marriage. Lord, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy the covenant of parenting and as a child's relationship with their parents, a mother and a father. Lord, we pray for that. Help us, Lord. That's a very important covenant of family. 
Lord, he wants to destroy how we relate to people outside of our family. He wants to erode those relationships. I truly believe, especially in the United States of America, what Satan is trying to do is get everyone fighting each other. Because if we're busy fighting with each other, we don't realize that you're pulling the strings. That Satan is trying to destroy us all, Lord. Lord, bring the creature to light. And may you cut him out of our lives. God, we thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for your word. May it bless us and keep us. And may your face shine bright upon us, Lord. And may we walk in your ways all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.